Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. What we do every other month is we have an artist in residence come and just help enrich our worship experience, help lead us in worship beyond uh, just music, which we get to experience each week. And uh, we just want to have a rich um, experience with the different art capacities that we have among us. There's so many artists in this community and uh, kind of a part of the uh, greater community as well that we want to weave in. So uh, I'm really excited that Emily's here, and this installation is really cool. And so let's tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, my name is Emily, uh, and I live in St. Paul with my husband, Patrick, and my nine-month-old son, Alistair. And if you would have asked me, you know, when I was a kid, or all growing up, you know, what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would have just blurted out an artist before you could even finish um, but somehow that got lost in college, and I uh, studied business and communications and ended up doing uh, bookkeeping for small businesses. So it's a natural transition. Nice. <laughs> and she does it well, too. I know. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your art, and tell us about what the installation is today. So what I've decided to show you guys for this purpose is two different, you know, very obviously different things that are really telling about my life and my personality and are pretty autobiographical. Um, first and foremost, standing out are black and white pictures or paintings, drawings that I've done mostly with uh, black ink and Asian calligraphy brushes. It's my favorite thing. And they're really telling of my life and my personality as an introvert and uh, a really analytical introvert. Um, I spend a lot of my time observing the world around me and analyzing it. Terrible at chit chat, but uh, I'd like to. I like to look and I like to watch and, and boil things down to the black and the white and the essential and the non-essential and and try to see the the true form of something. Um, I think that you know, as you can see, I, I've drawn faces that that don't have smiles because I don't I don't think that they need them to be beautiful. I think that just kind of the authentic form of the face is is beautiful and uh, flowers don't have colors because that can mask the true beauty of a flower. I don't think, you know, I don't think it's necessary. Um, and then behind that, I have a, some quilts that I've done. And uh, I don't know if it's because I'm a Midwesterner or a human, but sometimes uh, I can't find satisfaction in art for art's sake and have to just do something practical and... Uh, but I'm still an artist, and I'm still creative, and there's not much more practical than a blanket. So I quilt and sometimes make other things, but yeah. That's cool. Tell us a little bit about how your spiritual life and your art kind of intersect. So I think for me, um, art and spirituality are completely intertwined and inseparable at this point in my life. Um, I spend a, a lot of my kind of artistic life admiring other artists and other types of art um, and admiration turned to envy. And I, uh, I just, you know, I, I struggled against that and, and trying to produce something that was good and made a lot of just really ugly art. And it wasn't me, but through inviting God into my uh, creative process and into my life as an artistic person, he brought me on a journey that really taught me about myself as well as him and was able to 
kind of come to terms with who I am uh, as a minimalist. Um, so I would refer to these pictures pretty much as like minimalist portraiture. Um, I get bogged down in, in details uh, because I would want to include them all in, but uh, that, that hides things for me. And, and uh, having that spiritual, spiritual part of the creative process helped me to get rid of that and get rid of the noise and really find who I am and, uh, and be able to be at peace with that. Cool. Thanks, Emily. So please feel free during the month of April to, during the gathering, before or after the gathering, just come experience these and uh, connect with Emily. Uh, share with her, too. But uh, can we give her a hand again? Thanks. Um, if you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them? You're going to need them. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. <clears throat> I want to read these. So uh, if you can, stand, and we will uh, we'll jump right in here. We read uh, this last week, and we're going to sort of focus on the second half of this. So here we go. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has, now, has no glory now in comparison to the compa- excuse me, surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Verse 12. Therefore, since we have such hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." Pray with me. God, may it be so for us as we behold you and see your face led by the Spirit. Would you transform us? Would you change us from the inside out? Make us new. Give us new life. Uh, Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Heal us where we need to heal. Uh, Speak words of life and hope to us, God, we pray. In the strong name of Christ, all God's people said, amen. Amen. You can have a seat, gang. I'm really excited about today. So here's how this this works out. Last week, we talked about uh, this being a two-part series, Veils and Mirrors, okay? Last week was Veils, and so in the first part of this section we read, um, Paul's talking about Moses who goes up on Mount Sinai, if you remember, the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston. It should be playing pretty soon in the next couple weeks with Easter coming. Um, So Moses goes up, he meets with the Lord, he comes down from the mountain, and his face is beaming to the degree that the Israelites put a veil over his face, Right? What Paul is saying is that what Moses received on the mount was good, it was the law, but it came 430 years after the promise that God gave Abraham. The important part is the promise that God gave Abraham and how it's fulfilled in Jesus later, the seed from Abraham. But what was in between there was the law. What Paul is saying is that the law, just like Moses came down, he had a veil over his face, the law in that sense is veiled. It doesn't give us the full access. It doesn't give us the full picture. It doesn't give us the full transformative power that we have in Jesus and in the Spirit. This is essentially what Paul is saying, which is why he goes to such great lengths to compare and contrast 
the work of Moses and the stone or the, the law that was written on stone and the work of Jesus by the spirit written on human hearts. Okay, that's what he's doing here. What I want to focus on today is the second part, the last part of this. And I'm actually going to reread this in the New American Standard because I think this translation nails it. The NIV actually uh, kind of confuses the issue a little bit more. And it reads this way in the NASB. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Here's the piece. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We who with unveiled faces behold as in a mirror God's glory. So the question we wanted to sort of explore this morning is what is the mirror? Where does that take place? Where do we behold the glory of God? Where do we see? 2 Corinthians 4, next, next chapter, Paul says that Jesus is the icon, the image of God, and as we gaze on that, we're changed. So what is this? What is the mirror that Paul's talking about? We behold as in a mirror and we're transformed. So that's kind of where we're headed. I think that the, the key to this question that we asked last week, we started with where or how do you change? When you think about your own life and your own like spiritual journey, whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, how do you change? How does change actually take place where Something happens on the inside that then manifests itself in different actions on the outside. Or something happens inside and then you respond differently than you would have before, before you had that change. How does that happen? Where does that take place? I think the key is in this passage. So let's unlock this sucker. You ready? Um, I mentioned last week that a book uh, called Seeing is Believing by a guy named Greg Boyd has been really helpful and influential on this um, topic of an imaginative prayer. I would highly recommend it if you're a reader. Um, So essentially, in this passage, Paul says that those who are unbelievers, who have yet to say yes to Jesus, have some sort of veil, right? And, And when we turn to Christ, when we say yes to Jesus, that somehow this veil is removed. Uh, So... On the one hand, when we say yes to Christ, it's a choice that we make. It's our own will. It's our own volition, right? We choose this. And somehow, mysteriously, there's something happening behind the scenes in the spiritual realm where there is a veil that's lifted and we're able to see Jesus for who Jesus is. But what does it mean to see? What does it mean to behold as in a mirror? What does it mean to see when the scriptures talk about seeing God or beholding God? What exactly are they talking about? Here's just a couple of examples through the scriptures, and you could go through and write down a list of a hundred of them. I'm going to just mention a couple because I think it will help us understand. When the Bible says that someone sees God, what are we talking about? Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, story of Abraham. The beginning of Genesis 12, God appears to Abraham in a vision, it says. In Genesis 15, it says, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, uh, Genesis chapter 28, if you know the story of Jacob who wrestles with God, he gets his hip you know, messed up and he's got a limp and he's, then his name changes to Israel. It says that the word of the Lord or that God came to Jacob in a dream, in a vision, in a dream. Uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, the prophets, Micah, thank you very much. Um, th- most of them begin with, and the word of the Lord came to me in a vision. And then they spoke it. I'm suggesting this is all right here. In the book of Acts, uh, there are uh, all sorts of stories where God speaks or says something or has an encounter with someone, and it's a vision. It's it's all happening right here. Acts, uh, Paul's on the road to Damascus, and he's met 
by the Lord. Like, if you had a videotape of Paul walking on the road to Damascus, would you have seen what Paul saw? I don't think you would have. Is it any less real? I don't think it is. Paul, uh, Peter, uh, he's, he, he's awoken, or he has a dream from the Lord about food being sacrificed to idols. If you remember this great debate in the book of Acts, should we, should we eat food sacrificed to idols? And the Lord comes to Peter in a dream. Uh, Ananias is, uh, is told by God, by the Spirit, to go and meet with Paul, to minister to Paul, the same Paul who's been killing Christians, all in a dream, in a vision. Um, Paul, told by the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. If you had been in the room, do you think you would have heard God say, hey, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem? No, I don't think you would have. Later in the book, it says that Paul, the Lord stood by Paul in prison. Again, if you had a video of that day, Paul in prison, would you have seen? I want to suggest, when we talk about seeing in the 21st century in our day and age, it's like, can you see this mighty bright? Yes, you can, because you can see it, like three-dimensionally. It's in space and time. It has height, width, depth. But I want to say that the scriptures, when we talk about seeing, when it asks the question, can you see, or someone saw God, that this happens, and, and it's totally normal in the Bible, that this isn't a physical seeing, but it's something other than that. Boyd, in this book that I've recommended, says it this way. In most instances... There's nothing to indicate that the hearing and seeing that characterized the faith of biblical believers was of a physical sort. God's ordinary mode of communication in biblical times and today is to speak and appear to those who have the spiritual capacity to hear and see spiritual realities with a veil that's removed. In other words, it is an experience that takes place in what we would call the imagination. Now, when I say imagination, some of you might be thinking, this might get a little weird, Micah. I'm pretty sure this is a little weird. Um, and, and when I say imagination, you might think like, oh, this is make-believe, you know, like Casper the Friendly Ghost, you have a make-believe friend or an imaginary friend, or somehow imagination is something that takes you away from reality, and maybe, um, maybe it can, maybe it does. Yeah, I have been in meetings where someone's really boring and I don't want to listen to them, and so I imagine myself fishing, and it takes me away from my real experience that I'm having and somewhere else, right? But you've never had that happen before in your work life. But when I say imagination, I want to suggest that while imagination can take us away from reality, that it's our imagination that actually allows us to access reality. And when I say imagination, here's what I mean. The imagination is the mind's ability to evoke images of things that aren't physically present. So when I say, my mother, I'm looking at Eva, but I'm picturing my mother in my mind. I'm presenting, my brain is presenting to me the reality, the truth about Claudette Witham, who was sitting up here in the first hour, right? It's the ability, the mind's ability to evoke images that aren't necessarily physically present. But it doesn't mean that those images are any less real. In fact, I would say that it's our imagination, our mind's capacity to do this, that allows us to access and be transformed by the truths that we say are true about God. Because so many of them are spiritual, right? Like the scripture says, they... they it's not something that you, it's not projected on the wall, you know? Like we come and we say, okay, tell me what Jesus looks like. Hang on, can we get that working? Right, right over here, just project it right. No, we have to use our imagination in that sense. And it's the mind's ability to evoke those images of things that aren't necessarily present there. Let me, let me see if I can illustrate this. 
If, I were to, if you were to say to me, Micah, tell me about your wife, I could do this in one of two ways. I could say to you, Laura Catherine Witham, born to Ron and Dee Dee Dooley, uh, 1806 Karen Street, Burbank, California, 91504. Her sisters are Kim, Amy, Jill. Her brother's name is Brian. She has a sister-in-law named Jamie and a bunch of other brother-in-laws that like to hang out with me because we're the only dudes in the family. Uh, her dad likes to work on cars. She graduated from Colorado Christian University. She drives a green Honda Pilot. It's all true. But it's abstract information about my wife. Now, what's actually happening in my brain, though I can't they say that the brain processes somewhere upwards of thousands of different things at the same time, and I can only articulate about seven to ten of them. What's happening in my brain as I tell you all of those things is I'm actually picturing 1806 Karen Street and Ron and Dee Dee and Jim and Kill and, and, and Amy, and I'm seeing all those people. So that's one way you could say sort of abstract information. Now, I could do it this way also. The day I met my wife, I was 20 years old. I was standing against a wall at a dance putting out the vibe. <laughs> Trying to imagine that, right? So I'm putting out the vibe, and this girl with strikingly beautiful red hair, sort of clipped up with two little clips in a gold heart-shaped locket, a brown cocktail dress that wasn't too short but was just right. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't have high heels because that's not her style, but do you call them pumps or like, you know, elevated a little bit? Uh, and she says to me, hello, my name is Laura. Would you like to dance? And I look at her and I look at her legs, which are phenomenal. She has unbelievably blue eyes and a spot in the small of her back that was made for my hand. Now, gang, this information, it will only become emotionally effective or connected to you insofar as you begin to create representations of what I'm saying to you in my mind, at which point this illustration's over because I don't want you all thinking about my wife like that anymore. But to the degree that those things that I'm saying are vivid and concrete images in my head is the degree to which they have the power to transform me. To the degree that they're abstract, informative, God exists as Trinity, Jesus died on a cross, he was resurrected from the dead, he rose, he re Lazarus. To the degree that it's inf information, equally I would say it has the... It has less of an effect or has less power to transform me. But when those things that I say are true about God actually become concrete, vivid images in my mind, they actually begin to have the power to transform me from the inside out. Let me see if I can make this even a bit more clear. Um, I'm not a neuroscientist, but I'm really interested in this kind of stuff. I've been reading about this. Here's how this works in your brain. So you experience an event or a reality uh, or a truth, Right? This event, reality, or truth is then presented to you in your brain. So you experience something and then it's present to you in your brain, in your mind's eye, right? You've heard that phrase before. That image that is in your brain evokes emotions, convictions, beliefs, meaning about whatever the event, event uh, reality, or truth is. And that drives your actions in the world. There's no other way around it. 
Now, here's where this gets interesting as it relates to faith and spirituality. There are moments in our lives when we experience triggers. Psychologists will tell you this. Let's say a child who uh, a child has a father abandon their family, and the dad walks out. And this is an event, a reality, or truth that this person experiences. It's presented in their mind in a particular way, and this young boy has particular convictions, emotions, beliefs, and meanings about that event. Now, when there's a trigger, these, these happen through what you see, you smell, you taste, you touch, right? The five senses that you have. Something triggers that memory, and what happens is your brain represents, represents that event, that picture that you've connected to these emotions, and these emotions drive your actions. So, gang, you could tell this young child until you're blue in the face that God is like a father and loves you and will never leave you nor forsake you. But until the image, literally, the image in the child's brain changes, he will always connect father to these emotions and these beliefs and these convictions and these values. And so when somebody leaves, the child thinks, I'm not worth staying for. I'm, I'm not loved. I'm not valued. In fact, it makes perfect sense that this person would abandon me because that's exactly what always happens. Why do I say all of this? As it relates to our spiritual lives, whatever meaning the event, reality, or truth, insert God or some attribute of God, whatever meaning that you have uh, um, that event has for you, it continues to be continues to be experientially communicated to you in your brain every time you represent represent that in your mind. Why is this important? What does it have to do with Second Corinthians? I want to suggest that what Paul is saying is that when we, by the Spirit, when we're led by the Spirit, we actually behold as in a mirror, God's image. Where is that? It's your brain. It's in your mind. That's where you see. That's where you experience the reality or the truths about God. And insofar as those realities and truths are concrete and vivid is the degree to which they can change you. Why does Paul say, those who without avail, we behold the image of God as in a mirror and we're what? transformed. We're changed from one degree of glory to another. How is that possible? Because when we see those images, those images evoke meaning and value and beliefs and convictions in us. And to the degree that they're vivid and concrete is the degree to which they can change us. So if you say, you know, imagination shouldn't be a part of the Christian life, gang, you've just, you've just exited the most powerful tool that we have possible to access the truth about who God is. So let's not be afraid of our imagination, but let's rather submit it to the work of the Holy Spirit and use it to allow God to speak to us, to show us who God is, what God is like. That's what Paul's saying. As in a mirror, led by the Spirit, in our minds, this is where it happens. And gang, this is not new. This is not new information. I know it seems like new information to us as 21st century evangelicals, but it's not because the church hasn't been talking about it. It's because somebody has reinterpreted it or, or, or de, uh, well, given it the wrong um, message or meaning. There's a guy named uh, Origen. One of the earliest church fathers talks about the spiritual imagination. 
St. Teresa of Avila, if you know some of the the mystics, Uh, Aquinas, Anselm, there's a guy named Ignatius of Loyola who talks about this. He calls it cataphatic prayer or imaginative prayer. Um, A.W. Tozier, some of you might know him, he says this, he speaks of the supreme value of the sanctified imagination. The Holy Spirit presents Christ to our inner vision in our minds and we gaze upon Christ with the eyes of our soul and we're changed. Let me see if I can illustrate this with a story. And then I want to try to, I want to give us some time to actually try to experience this. And I want to try to give you some tools to do this on your own. I realize the risk that I take in preaching a sermon like this because it sounds a little different than maybe what we've been used to. But gang, this has been shaping and changing my, my life. It has been transforming the way I understand God. My sister-in-law, her name is Natalie. And, uh, uh, she married my brother Jake. They have two kids, Nolan and Tessa. A couple of summers ago, they were at a uh, summer vacation with their family. And uh, of course, they're at a hotel, and the hotel has a pool. And somehow, Nolan, uh, their oldest, my, my nephew, fell in the pool, and nobody noticed it. And uh, when somebody noticed it, they started, of course, started screaming, uh, and Natalie remembers, she told me the story last week, I was telling her about what I was teaching on, and she says, oh my gosh, you have no idea, let me, so she tells me the story, she looks over, and she, all she sees is her son Nolan in the bottom of the pool, and that image is seared in her brain, and all, you know what breaks loose Somebody jumps in, drags Nolan out. He's laying there in her arms. She's wailing. Finally, somebody gets him to breathe. And this experience, for as you might imagine, has traumatized. Uh, and any time Natalie had, would come in contact with water or when Nolan was near water, it would produce crippling anxiety. Because this event or reality which was presented in her brain evoked emotions, beliefs, convictions which are, they're so strong they make people do unbelievably crazy things that are completely nonsensical or illogical. She told me about an experience that she has later on. So this happens, water, anytime Nolan's near water, anxiety, like just stricken, paralyzing. And she had an experience with the Lord in, in a time of prayer where, led by the Spirit, she said, Holy Spirit, lead me. And God sort of walked her through this experience again. And it wasn't until the moment where Nolan is laying in her arms and she, and again, here's the question. Here's the question that she could not shake. God, where were you? Why were you not there? How could you have let this happen? Where were you in the middle of that? And so by the Spirit, she's led to see. She's sitting there with Nolan in her arms, and she says, Jesus, Jesus. The only time she said any, spoke God's name in the whole event. And it's at that moment where her eyes are lifted up, and she sees surrounding the pool all of these angels. And she hears this voice, I was with you. I was there. And from that point forward, she has a new image, a new representation that, is, that corresponds to the truth that we already know is true, that God never leaves us or forsakes us, but that's vivid and concrete. And guess what? 
She's being changed from the inside out. No longer does she have anxiety when she comes near water. No longer does she freak out when Nolan tries to go swimming. Why? Because that image, that truth that God will never leave you or forsake you, that God is always there, will not abandon you, is now vivid and concrete in her mind. And it's changing her. I, uh, I'm going to invite Ben and Bree to come up, and uh, I want to lead you in, in an exercise. Uh, and Hopefully, I want to try to give you some tools to begin doing this, um, if you would so choose. Ben and Toph and I went to uh, a silent retreat, and I spent a day and a half in the woods by myself. And during that time, I participated in, in a, a number of different um, kind of intentional uh, imaginative prayer experiences where I said, Holy Spirit, I want you to lead me to see and hear. I want to behold, as in a mirror, the image of Christ, the representation of God. The scripture says that Jesus is the in image of the invisible God, the exact representation of God's glory. Holy Spirit, lead me to that and tell me what you need, tell me what I need to hear. And one of the things that I continue to hear again and again and again is, Micah, you are my son and I love you and I'm proud of you. And that's me, that's mine. I need to hear that. Some of you know a bit of my story and how badly that wound has hurt and how deep it goes and how it has affected my ability to trust God, let alone men in my life. You are my son, and I love you, and I'm proud of you, is what I keep hearing again and again and again. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, uh, to trust me just for the next 10 minutes or so. And I want to lead you in an exercise. And this is... Uh, there are things that I would encourage you to do uh, if you're going to do this on your own, to find a quiet space. Uh, for me, music is really helpful, things that are just kind of nondescript, uh, just to kind of let me relax. Uh, and so I want to try to create that for you here in the next few minutes and just a couple of guided prompts uh, to try to at least give you some tools to do this on your own. So if you would, if you want to, um, I invite you to just close your eyes and uh, take a couple of deep breaths. And if you're not comfortable with this, I'm, that's okay. Just let it pass. But if you would, engage. Take a couple of deep breaths in and out. And just try to quiet your mind from all the things that are happening. The laundry, the groceries, the whatever things are grabbing for your attention, just try to set those down in your mind's eye. And just imagine opening your hands to receive. And I'm going to ask Bree to sing a chorus, uh, one that's very familiar. And then I want you to just imagine turning your eyes to Jesus. For me, Jesus has a
so you say what you need to say. that comes is how do I know it's me? How do I know it's not me? How do I know it's God? Um, to which I would say the scripture says that the sheep will know the shepherd's voice. And that takes time. For me, it always feels like it came from out of nowhere, like electricity, like there it is. It's not something that was there before and then it's there. That's just how it happens for me. Um, so I would encourage you to listen and, and, and do this the Spirit of God leading us. The scripture says that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth, and we need not be afraid. We need not be weary of being led by the Spirit of God. So Ben's just going to sing this chorus, which speaks of the Spirit uh, flowing through or moving through the canyons and the caverns of our souls. And so as he does, I just want to invite you to imagine that. Where would, where would the Spirit lead you? Where, would, where does it need to go in your soul, in your heart? Spirit 
So God, I pray that that we would be a community that is just desperately rooted in your spirit guiding us. Without it, we're left on our own, and that is never good. So Holy Spirit, we trust you. We trust that you bear witness to the image of God in Jesus. So show us what he looks like, what he sounds like, what is embrace it feels like the sound of his voice when he says I love you and you are enough and it wasn't your fault and you're beautiful and you don't have to try so hard God let us hear those as if they were coming from you because they were they are help us to hear today, I want to invite you to stand. We're going to sing this chorus uh, together, just as a a way to sort of commit ourselves to Spirit, God, we need you. Uh, We need you to lead us. So sing this chorus with us. Spirit. 
online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.